Amen. You may be seated. And as you are, turn with me in your copy of the Holy Scripture to Genesis 28. I trust you brought a Bible with you this morning. Genesis 28 is where we will be. We have studied the life of Abraham, then the life of Isaac, and now the life of Jacob. What do we know about Jacob? Well, Jacob was a pragmatist. And Jacob lived his life by the situational ethic that the end justifies the means. It was in Genesis 25 that Jacob exploited his brother Esau to gain the birthright. Then it was in Genesis 27 that Jacob deceived his father Isaac to gain the blessing. And as a pragmatist, Jacob was successful in pursuing his own promotion, but what was missing in Jacob's life was a relationship with Jehovah God. There is no evidence in the biblical record that Jacob feared God or followed God until now, until Genesis 28. Up until this point in Jacob's life, Jacob's life was about Jacob. He lived his life for himself, independent from and apart from God. But now, as I've written there at the top of your notes, Jacob encountered the one who loved him and chose him. God met with Jacob and turned Jacob's heart toward the Lord, toward Jehovah God. So from Genesis 28, I prepared a message simply titled Jacob and Jehovah. Let's pause for prayer before we go to God's word. Father God in heaven above, we come to you at this moment as we approach your word to ask for the aid of your spirit to instruct us and to convict us and to change us because of what we read and what we study. We thank you, Lord, for choosing Isaac. We thank you for loving him and purposing so many great things for him, for him and for our benefits. But Lord, I pray that we might be mindful of perhaps our own error in life and and that we function, we operate independent of you, pursuing our own promotion. We ask that you would be near to us, that you would meet us, and that you would change us. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I've structured my outline of Genesis 28 in this way. You're welcome to follow along in the notes I've prepared. Number one, Jacob's departure from home, Jacob's departure from home. At some point in everyone's life, there comes a time when you have to grow up and you have to leave home. And maybe you leave home for the sake of school or a job or or marriage, whatever the case may be. It's time to launch out and make a life for yourself. The Morrell family is experiencing this phenomenon just now as my son and daughter have graduated from college. Micah and Lydia are graduated from college and they are starting careers in South Carolina. They are leaving home. Our middle daughter, Anna, is still a student in college. Of course, Sophia and Clara are still at home with us, but our kids are growing up and they are leaving us, and it's partly a sad thing to see them grow and go. On the other hand, it's, it's a good thing, for that's the very goal of raising a family. We, we don't raise children. We, we raise adults to get up and to, to go out. In Jacob's case, however, he was not a young adult when he grew up and he left home Jacob was old enough to collect social security. 
you see here in Genesis 28. He was in his 60s when he finally cut the apron string and leaves home in Genesis 28. So, so why now? What's the impetus for Jacob leaving home? Well, as we inquire of what, what, it, what it was that, that made Jacob get up and go to leave home, we, we actually need to cheat back to Genesis 27 and read how that things got ugly for Jacob after tricking Esau out of the birthright and tricking Esau out of the blessing. Look at chapter 27, verse 36. Well, let's begin there, 27, verse 36. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. Jump to verse 41. Verse 41, so Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Folks, Jacob had to leave home because of the threat. Number one, the threat of Esau's knife. Now, I get sibling rivalry. I get interpersonal conflict. I understand that there are times of sharp disagreement that may occur, even separating the best of friends. But what I don't understand, what I don't accept, is the deep bitterness and the resentment and the hatred of one human being toward another human being so much that they're motivated to kill that other. This is of the devil who is a murderer from the beginning. So consequently, Jacob's mother, Rebekah, warned Jacob that he needed to flee. Look at chapter 27, verse 42. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Jacob had to leave home at this point under duress because of the threat of Esau's knife. But then as we come to chapter 28, Isaac, Father Isaac, added a second reason why Jacob needed to leave home. Look at chapter 28, verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paden Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take for yourself a wife from there among, of, of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And, and so in a rare moment of agreement... Isaac and Rebekah tell Jacob that he needs to go. He needs to leave and go live with Uncle Laban. Laban. Rebekah's reason was because of Esau's knife, but Isaac's reason was for Jacob to find a wife, the prospect of, of finding a wife, number two. And Isaac's concern was that Jacob not marry a wife from among the Canaanites as Esau did in Genesis 26 because the local people, the Canaanites there in the land did not know or fear Jehovah God. Therefore, Isaac told Jacob, you need to leave home now. You need to go to Paden, Aram, and Haran to the, to the home of, of your maternal um, grandfather, Bethuel, and find a wife there among the daughters of Uncle Laban, there in verse two. 
And evidently, the knowledge of the true God of heaven remained there because of Abraham's testimony so many years earlier. And just as Abraham sent Isaac, or sent um, his servant to find Isaac away, a wife in a far country, now, now Isaac is sending Jacob away to find a wife there in a far country, a bride for himself. And I might just take a moment here, a pause to speak to our our young people. Young people, there are few things in your life that will make or break your life beyond the choice of a spouse. And the number one criteria in you choosing a spouse is that he or she ought to be a believer who is like-minded with you biblically and spiritually. Marry a believer in Jesus Christ. Secondly, the second important criteria in choosing a mate for yourself is to have the blessing of mom and dad. Now it's probable that you will leave home, you'll go to college, you'll join the military, you'll take a job in some place, another city, you'll find a mate there. Be sure that you marry one who is a believer and be sure that you have the blessing of your parents in that choice. In verses three through five now, Isaac reissues the patriarchal blessing that, that had been given to Abraham and that had been given to himself. We'll get verse number three. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, away from home, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and, and Esau. And this third impetus for Jacob leaving home would, would be the blessing on Jacob's life. And after living for a lifetime under his parents' proverbial roof, the time had come for Jacob to leave home. And here in this case now, the time has come for Jacob to personally experience the hand of God on his life. Up to this point, God's good hand of blessing had been upon grandfather Abraham and upon father Isaac. But now, what about Jacob himself? You see, Jehovah God was their God, and not just yet Jacob's God. But if Jacob was to experience the blessing of God for himself, he needed to know and follow Jehovah himself. And so young people, again, if I might just address you in in your youth, when you leave home and you find yourself alone in the big bad world, you will have to, to personally choose to make God your God and to follow him. Unfortunately, many youth, young people, teens, young adults, graduate from high school, graduate from college, walk away from the Lord that they have known in their youth. It's a grave matter. So as Jacob is leaving home now, he's, he's taking that important step, in his case later in life, but in most cases younger in life, and to choose to know and to love the God who had loved and chosen him. What takes place here next is a very curious thing to me. Look at verse number six. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to pay an Aram to take himself a wife from there and that he had blessed him and given him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to pay him Aram and Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Isaac went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebojoth, 
to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. That's a strange event. I'm going to call it the impact of Jacob's leaving home. The impact. How did Jacob's leaving home impact the family, especially brother Esau? Esau bitterly watched his younger brother Jacob receive all the blessing and then go off to find a wife of Abraham's family. And that had an impact on Esau. And in Esau's bitter, resentful, angry, murderous mind, we know, Esau is reasoning that Father Isaac blessed Jacob because he had wrongly married, or had blessed Jacob and not Esau because Esau had wrongly married. Back in chapter 26, Esau had married of the daughters of the Canaanites. And so what's the solution for Esau? Well, in his mind, if Esau would marry another woman, one from Abraham's family. Remember, that seemed to be the concern. Back in chapter 28, verse number one, Jacob is being charged to to marry not the Canaanites, but one from Abraham's family. So if Esau would marry one from Abraham's family, perhaps he could get back into the good graces of his father Isaac. And Esau figured that he could add a little religious gloss to his life to be accepted by his father. And so impacted was Esau by what he witnessed in Jacob's departure from home, that he went to Abraham's family to marry a wife. He went to Abraham's other family, the descendants of Ishmael, Abraham's son by Hagar, and he took a wife from there. And folks, poor Esau missed the whole point. He didn't need a wife from Abraham's family. He needed a wife who feared God. And again, I would restate my charge and my my challenge and my exhortation to, to the young people regarding marriage and following after the, the Lord. So Jacob's departure from, from home, there were reasons he left home at this point, the impetus, and there was great impact. Secondly, Jacob's dream of heaven. Jacob's dream of heaven. Now, it's a bit strange for us to think that Jacob, having grown up in Isaac's home as Abraham's grandson, he did not yet know or claim God for his own. Certainly he had been told the the stories, but isn't that the way it is for all of us? We grow up in the church and we attend the Christian school, homeschool, the Iwana Clubs program, Sunday school. We hear it all, we know it all, we've learned it all, but each one of us must come to know God personally. And this is now the occasion for Jacob at long last in his life to know God personally. Look at verse number 10, Genesis 28, verse number 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Jacob is going here, letter A, to a far country. And I assure you that his mind is racing as he's walking along. The threats of his brother Esau were ringing in his ears and the dusty roads became a blur to his eyes and his heart hurt because he missed his mother and he didn't fully know what the future would hold. After a lifetime of being at home, he's now setting out on this journey alone and it's long And he finds a a place to rest for the night. He takes a rock for his pillow. He, He looks up at the stars. He's tossing and turning a bit. And he falls asleep. Just a note for those that, that care, this is a 500-mile journey that he has before him from Beersheba to Haran. He has traveled now about 50 miles from Beersheba 
to Bethel if we would cross-reference that with verse number 19. And so probably this is the second night of his, his journey away from home. And he's going to a far country. He's given a fresh covenant, letter B. He's given a fresh covenant. Verse number 12. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to the heavens and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it and behold the Lord stood above it and said I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac the land in which you lie I will give you and your descendants also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth you shall spread abroad to the west to the east to the north and to the south and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall, we bl- shall be blessed. Of course, we understand that to, to be a reference to the Messiah. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. A young man once said to his longtime girlfriend, I, I, I had a dream about you last night. He said, I dreamed that I finally proposed to you. He said, what do you think it means? <laughs> and she replied, well, that's simple. It means that you have more sense when you're asleep than when you're awake, right? <laughs> Jacob here has more sense when he's asleep than when he's awake. And God dealt directly with Jacob in this case. And God promised Jacob in that dream that he, God, would be Jacob's God and give Jacob all that he promised to Abraham, grandfather, to Isaac, his father, and now to Jacob. This is a reiteration of the same covenant promises that were given before him, a fresh covenant. And the dream, we often call this, if this were Sunday school and and we were a classroom of children, we would call this Jacob's Ladder. It's a confirmation of God's presence to Jacob wherever he went. And, but the Hebrew word here translated ladder or stairway in verse number 12, it's, it's salam. It's the only place in all the Bible where this term occurs. And because it only occurs here in this place, Bible translators really don't know what to make of it. Whatever it was, the angels are ascending and descending on it, and so they've come up with this notion of of a ladder or a stairway. Some have speculated that this ladder is Jesus. John 1, verse 51, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And Jesus doesn't show us the way to God. He is the way to God. And and so perhaps there's something there that Jesus literally, figuratively, is the bridge between heaven and, and earth. But of all the other angel encounters in the Bible, none other shows us the interest of heaven and earth as much as this encounter here, vividly in this vision. Heaven and earth are closely linked by this highway of angels. Hebrews 12, tells us there are thousands upon thousands of angels that are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. And here Jacob is given this incredible dream, this incredible night vision of these things. On the back of your notes, Charles Spurgeon has written of this in In this experience, now two days removed from home on on a very long journey to a far country, Spurgeon wrote, how precious it must have seemed as it came to Jacob in that den of a place. 
where he lay with the hedges for his curtains, the heavens for his canopy, the earth for his bed, stones for his pillows, and and I'll I'll put this here on the, the screen, and God for his companion. He continues, Spurgeon does by citing what God was saying to Jacob. I am with you, Jacob. Tomorrow when you shall open your eyes, you will look back to the west and say, I have left my father's house and my mother, Rebecca, behind me. And the tears will be in your eyes and you will look to the east and say, I'm going to the house of my mother's kindred and I know them not, except that I've heard concerning Uncle Laban that he is hard and grasping. (laughs) He would come to learn that firsthand. I I know not how they will receive me. Think of the, the fear of the unknown in Jacob's heart. Perhaps a bit of homesickness. Spurgeon continues, he says, but is it not a precious thing to start upon a journey with, I am with you, I the ever blessed. Though your mother is not with you, I am with you. Is there any young friend here who is leaving home? Are you going away for the first time and do you feel sad? Or are you about to emigrate to a distant country and your heart feels heavy? Do not go at all till you can get hold of this. I am with you, God says to Jacob. So look now at verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep, verse 16, and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. What's happening here now in Jacob's life? I would submit letter C. He's gaining a new conviction, a personal conviction for the first time in his life. God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac is now the God of Jacob. And God is real to Jacob. And it wasn't so much that God was in this place as much as it was that God was with Jacob where Jacob was. And once again, I'll address our young people, our students, our young adults. I'll I'll address all of us here many times. It isn't until we leave home. It isn't until we claim the God of heaven as our God that we find the security of his presence. No longer, perhaps young person, will you be compelled to go to church or to read your Bible, or to worship with believers because your parents say so. You're now in a place where your faith must be your own conviction. And that's a sweet place to be because now God is your own. He gained a firm conviction. And then number three, Jacob's decision to worship. And this is what happened as Jacob responded to this marvelous experience, this dream, this vision, he, he acted promptly in verse number 18. He acted promptly, verse 18. Then Jacob rose early in the morning. Now, if you didn't have your memory foam pill- pillow or your my pillow or your feather pillow or whatever pillow that you prefer, if, if you had a stone, a rock for your pillow, I suspect that you would rise early in the morning too, right? And your neck would hurt and you'd curse the pillow and you'd say, I'm gonna buy myself a new pillow because this isn't working for me. And um, he, he woke early, promptly in the morning. He skips out of bed enthusiastically, not because his pillow was hard, but because he had heard from God. 
And folks, we understand that God does not reveal himself in, in these ways to us today. Rather, God has revealed himself to us in this, his word, his written revelation to us. You say, Pastor, no offense, but I would trade the Bible any day for a vision like Jacob's vision. And I say, oh no, you wouldn't. I think of 2 Peter chapter one, Peter, James, and John were eyewitnesses of Jesus' glorification on the Mount of Transfiguration and they, they heard God speak from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You say, wow, that's an experience. I would trade God's word, the Bible, any day for that experience as well. But then Peter says something that's so instructive to us. He says that he has something more sure than an experience something more sure than a dream or a vision or any other sensation. He has the writings of the holy prophets. He has the inspired word of God. And so I would submit to you that when you long for an experience with God, where do you go? You go here to his word to behold your God in the pages of scripture as he's revealed himself to you and do it early in the morning when you wake up. Act promptly in pursuing after God. He not only acted promptly, he acted purposefully. Purposefully. Look at verse 18 again. Then Jacob rose early in the morning. He took the stone that he had put at his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it and he called the name of that place Bethel, Bethel. But the name of that city had, had been Luz previously. Now, the setting up of this stone or stones in this case, it's not an altar, it's a memorial. And memorial stones were set up to recall divine visitations so that others later could learn about God when they would ask, what do these stones mean? I would reference Joshua chapter four as well. The pouring of the oil here was symbolic of of the sanctification, that is Jacob setting apart that place, calling it Bethel or Bethel, meaning the house of God. Maybe you're familiar with the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. The, The second stanza of that hymn, it begins with the words, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Have you ever been curious about that? What's, what's an Ebenezer? Ebenezer uh, is a memorial. It means a memorial. Anything that is set up to help people remember who God is and what God has done. We need to raise some Ebenezers in our homes, in our families, in our church to remember what God has done and we need to be purposeful about that. But then Jacob He acted, letter C, he acted practically. He acted practically, and I know your notes are complete, but but keep your Bibles open and follow me in this, verse number 20. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. We read the conditional if. Do you see it there in verse number 20? If. 
However, this is really not the language of uncertainty. It's the language of assurance. In fact, this could be better translated since. It could read like this, verse 20. Since God has promised to be my protection. Verse 15 and verse 20. Since God has promised to be my protection and since God has promised to be my portion, there the second part of verse 20, then I will make God my God. And practically speaking then, Jacob makes a vow and what does he do? What's this vow? Look at the end of verse 22. Of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Folks, out of the blue, Jacob pledged a tithe, a tenth of all that God would give him to give back to God. Where where did Jacob get this idea? Well, it's not from the Mosaic law because the Mosaic law is still hundreds of years yet in the future when when the law was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. Where is Jacob getting this idea of vowing and pledging to commit a tithe or a tenth of his increase back to the Lord? I'll give you two ideas. First, Jacob may have known about his grandfather Abraham's tithing to that priestly king Melchizedek. It's a unique phenomenon in the Old Testament, a type of Christ back in Genesis 14. That's the only other mention of this practice of tithing in all of the book of Genesis. And so Jacob may have been mindful of that if he had ever heard that story. Secondly, and this is what I really propose, could it be that giving to God is the only logical response when you make God your God? You see, folks, our tithes and our offerings each week are not a legalistic requirement of the law, but they're a right response of our heart to the one who we've committed ourselves to. Each week, you, you write a check and you put it in the giving boxes there in the foyer. Or perhaps you go online and you give electronically. And when you do that, you're not just paying the bills at Fourth Baptist Church. You are declaring God you are my God. And I want to encourage you to regularly and faithfully give to the Lord because of what he's done for you. Folks, we haven't passed an offering plate since COVID. We rarely even speak of of an offering or tithes and offerings and giving and our, our financial giving ought not to be the human coercion of guilting you into paying dues so that we can perpetuate this ministry but rather our giving flows from a heart of commitment to the Lord. And I would cite Jacob here at the end of Genesis 28. Nobody told Jacob what to do. Nobody told Jacob he had to give. It was the impulse and the response of his heart toward God. And I hope that your giving, your tithing, your offerings are a spiritual discipline of commitment to the Lord. But in conclusion, I want to conclude in this way. I want to point you, I have just one minute remaining. I want to draw your attention back to a little line in verse 16. Look at verse 16. Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Folks, many times we, we aren't mindful that God is present because we're distracted by everything around us or we're living in fear or we're lost and alone and God seems to be a million miles away. Think with me now, Jacob is somewhere between home and Uncle Laban, a place he's never been, people he doesn't know. He's 
sleeping out under the stars with a rock as his pillow. We could say that he's in a place of sickness or loss or affliction or loneliness or betrayal or tragedy or heartache. Does any of this resonate with you? It's there in those places that we can recognize the presence of God. It was C.S. Lewis who said, God whispers to us in our pleasure and he shouts to us in our pain. Pain, C.S. Lewis said, is God's megaphone to rouse a sleeping world. And it wasn't until Jacob was away from home and alone, suffering the fears and the uncertainties of his circumstance that he perceived the presence of God. I did not realize, I did not know that God is here with me. Until I was alone, I was quiet, I was asleep. I think for that reason, Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. And that psalm describes the chaos of this world and the the earthquakes and the wars and the trouble at every hand. So the psalmist says, be still and know God. But do you know what the very next verse says? We all know Psalm 46 verse 10. But the very next verse, Psalm 46 verse 11, here it is. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of who? The God of Jacob is our refuge. Be still and know God because he's with you. He's near you. He's caring for you and preserving you and protecting you and leading you and guiding you and loving you and gracing you. He's with you. And who is this God? It's the God of Jacob in Genesis 28. Folks, God is not gonna appear to you in a dream. He's not gonna speak to you from the sky. He's not gonna reveal himself in a vision but he's given himself to us in the Holy Scripture. He wants us to meet him here. He wants us, us to know him. He wants to speak to us. Jacob and Jehovah. Perhaps there could be a chapter written of your life. Matt and Jehovah, or John and Jehovah, or Jennifer and Jehovah, or Susie, you follow what I'm saying? that we might have relationship to a God who is with us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this Old Testament narrative, the life of Jacob. Lord, we identify because many times we live by pragmatism, laboring for our own promotion, apart from you, independent of you, until we're thrust out of our comfort zone. We're pushed out of the nest. We're put on a road, a long, dry, dusty road to the unknown But God, you meet us there. You reveal yourself to us through your word and remind us of your love for us. Lord, may we be still and know that you are God, that you are with us. For you, the God of Jacob, are our refuge. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.